give it up for Hunter. <laughs> Nailed it, Hunter. <laughs> wow. Wow, folks. For those online, you just missed a treat right there, so... Hey, once again, so glad you are here this morning. I am excited. I get to kick off a brand new series today that I am so jacked up about. The series that we're going to hit is simply called The Big St- <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it, was, it was just too easy today, folks. <laughs> too easy. That's not the title. It's not The Big Bernie. It is The Big story is that we are kicking off today, the big story. Now, uh, we just came off of the Christmas season, right? And a uh, question for you, how many of you have a real Christmas tree in your home when you do Christmas? Not right now, but a real, you put up a real Christmas, real live Christmas, some of you do. Did anybody actually cut down their own Christmas tree this year? Some of you do that? Okay, great. So last year, me and Amber, we got the bright idea that we were going to cut a tree down for the first time. We love the real Christmas trees. And so we go to the place, and we walk around legit for two hours. We're traipsing around. It's like five degrees outside, walking around. We can't find one we like. We go back in the store and bought one anyways, because we're just like, we couldn't find the perfect one, you know? But how many of you put up, I'm sure a lot of you, you put up the artificial or the fake trees, right? In our, in our home, the fake tree, that's like a cuss word. We don't use fake trees. It's the F word in our home. We don't say that, okay? Sorry. <laughs> But how many of you have seen, you remember these trees, the fake ones like this, you know? Not the nice ones, you know, they, they have the nice ones that like actually fall down, but these old school ones, you know, and what do you do? You got to take these branches, you know, and you got one at a time, stick the branch in the tree, all right? And they're so this actually was in our lobby this Christmas, since Amber said never again, because it took like these two volunteers two and a half hours to put this tree together this year. <laughs> so we're going to get rid of this. Would anybody like a Christmas tree when this is over? Okay. But see, when you have a tree like this, the way it works is you're, you put them on, and at first it doesn't look like anything, right? But in time, the thing starts to take shape. It starts to make sense. And as there's more and more pieces added, it fills out this tree, and you step back, and you're like, oh, that's what's being built. That's the big picture. That's what's going on. But if you don't have the trunk, you just have a box full of branches. Every once in a while, they might be nice. They might look pretty, but you're like, I don't really know what to do with this thing. It makes no sense to me, right? And see, I believe this is the problem that we have when it comes to the Bible. Oftentimes, we have issues when it comes to Scripture, and I think ultimately, it creates challenges in our faith because we come to the Bible the same way, and we just keep acquiring new branches, and we have no idea how they fit together. What do I mean? What do I mean? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you feel it on a weekly basis. You're like, Greg, you get up there and preach, and I'm like, oh, that's a nice branch. I don't know what to do with it exactly. Where does this fit? And so I put it in my box, and I got my nice box of branches. And some of you, you, you know, you might get that power verse sent to you, and you're like, oh, I love that branch. You're like, that's a good branch, and I stick it in my box. Or you, you get that discipleship thing or that devotional that you read, and it's just inspiring, or you listen to that person on the radio, or you watch that video, or whatever it is. And you just keep acquiring these branches, but you have no idea how they fit together. It's just a nice thing. And here's the problem. If you don't know where they fit then you only take the branches that you like, right? You only take the ones you like. Because if you don't like the branch, it might be critical to the structure of this tree, but I don't know where it fits, and I don't really like it. You toss it to the side. Similarly, 
There's another question that I think our culture asks that's the wrong question when it comes to faith. And this is the question, if you want to pull that up. We ask the question, where does God fit into my story instead of where do I fit into his? Thank you. I like it when they cheer for me too. It makes me feel good. But this is the problem we have. We got us, because we're in this me-centered culture. Everything is about me. You know that. Every child is like, me, me. Every adult is like, me, me. It doesn't change. We're all about ourselves. And then we bring that to Scripture, and we say, what's good for me? If I like it, I'll put the branch in my box, right? But I'm only keeping the ones I like. And so I've had a passion, man. I've been so jacked up to preach this series. I've had a burden for this series over the last several months. Because Amber and I, our job as your pastor is not to tickle your ears, to make you feel good about yourself, right? Just to say all the things you wanna hear. My job isn't to entertain you up here, right? I hope you're, you're mildly entertained by my stupidity up here, but that's not my goal. My goal is to see you grow up into mature followers of Christ. My job is to see you grow up, right? I don't want a bunch of babies around here. Spiritual, I wanna see the babies come in and then I wanna see them grow up. All right? And so that's my burden. That's my challenge. And I don't think there's a better way to grow in your faith than to grow in your understanding of Scripture and how you need to apply that to your life. Now hear this. There is no one series that's going to solve all the world's problems. (laughs) Trust me, I know this is a preacher, okay? But I believe that this series has the potential to transform how you see Scripture and to change the way and get you on a new journey as it relates to hearing from God through His Word, okay? Uh, I will say this, that this is a different type of series. This is going to have a little more education component to it. I'm not just here to inspire you every week. I hope you actually learn something every week over the next several weeks. And so I think this is one of those series you don't want to miss a week. They're going to build. It's a big story. So I'm hoping that we're going to build on this thing a little bit. But today's message, there's actually a lot that we're going to go through and talk about. And I, could, I can't get it all in this message. So we're going to do something very unique. Tomorrow night at 8.30, we're doing a live Zoom with my sermon team that kind of helps me develop things. And we're going to just kind of hang out and talk about some of these things a little more fully, a little more developed together, okay? And so you'll see that. It's post, it'll, it'll be posted on our website. It'll also be posted on social media. You can join us at 8.30 tomorrow night on a Zoom, all right? But if you've got your Bibles, uh, would you turn with me to John chapter 1, beginning of verse number 1, all right? While you're turning there, just a reminder, we are in our Bible reading plan. We're going through the entire Bible together this year. And so if you haven't jumped in, please do so. You can go to our website right at the top of our homepage. There's a link there. We hit 100. We hit 100 people that are joining us in the online version. Super excited about that. Uh, It's a great way to jump in. Would you stand with me across the room as uh, we read our primary text? Again, I say there's nothing sacred about Stan. It's just to say, God, we value what you have to say above anything else. John chapter 1, beginning of verse 1, says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him, Jesus, was life, Zoe life, and that Zoe life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Father, I pray that you would take this few moments we have together, and Father, my feeble attempt to speak, and I pray, God, that you would give us some truths that would transform our lives. God, help us to grow up, God, that we wouldn't be babies, but God, help us to grow up to be mature followers of Christ that look more and more like Jesus and less and less like ourselves. We pray that in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. You can be seated. 
I want to ask a very simple question here this morning. Very simple question. What is the Bible? What is the Bible? If I was going to force you to answer that question, how would you answer it? Think about it for a second, okay? I think for some of you, you would answer, well, it's the, it's the scriptures, right? It's like the Holy Scripture. It's like the important stuff that, that we have in our faith, right? Yeah, and a lot of times we'll refer to it as the Word of God, right? These are things that we say. And this is absolutely true. This is what scripture is. It is the word of God. It is holy. It is something where God is speaking and revealing and communicating with mankind through this scripture. Absolutely. And some of you know what that's like because there's been times in your life where it's as if God is speaking right to your heart when you read it, right? There's been those times when you needed something and God spoke to your heart and he revealed something, revealed something of his character to you. It's great. But here's the problem. If this is all we know of Scripture, oh, it's just the Word of God. If that's all we know, then it can cause us at times to play Russian roulette with the Bible. Where we just go, whoop, boop. All right, cool. What does it say to me right now? I'm going to take it at face value here in the moment. And if we do that, I say this to you on a regular basis, that we can come up with some really screwy ideas if we play that way. If we don't really understand what it is we're looking at, we can come up with crazy ideas. And the problem is we get to a point we can say it and then we can stand firmly and say, well, that's what the word of God says. And we're firmly planted on very unsteady ground at that moment. And so once again this morning, we're gonna look, is this the word of God? Absolutely. Is this the Holy Scripture? Absolutely. But this morning, we're gonna look at it from a few other angles to see it more fully, to understand what we're approaching in the word of God. So we ask the question, what is the Bible, point number one, if you're taking notes this morning, is this. The Bible is a collection. The Bible is a collection. I think we get this. When you come to the good book, the good book's got a lot of books in it, right? It isn't just one book. We understand that. But the Bible, I think, is more like approaching a bookshelf than approaching a book. See, when you approach a bookshelf, what happens? You know that when you grab a biography of Abraham Lincoln, you should read that differently than a book of Emily Dickinson poems, correct? And it's different than if you grab a comic book off of the shelf. All of them, they're all communicating something, but how they're communicating is different. And if you don't take that into account, you begin to see the wrong thing. You get what I'm saying here? Okay? This is a bookshelf, and scripture is like that bookshelf. There are different styles, different purposes. The way things have been put together are different, and we need to understand that. But here's the problem. When we call this just the word of God and we forget that it's also a collection, then we will come to it and treat it like a newspaper. Just the facts. Here's the facts. All right, cool. It said this, so I do this. It said this, so I do this, right? But we have to be able to step back at times and say, okay, what is God really speaking to this? Because when you open the scripture, there are parts of the scripture that are historical narrative. There are parts of scripture that are wisdom literature. There are parts of scripture that are poetry. There are parts of scripture actually that are like satire. There's sarcasm in there. And if you don't read it in such, then you end up thinking crazy things that don't actually align with what God's trying to communicate, right? You get that in a conversation. There are times, you know when you're texting somebody, and they missed what you're trying to say because they missed your intent? The same thing happens in the word where we miss what God is saying. We miss the style, we miss the intention, we miss the context, and therefore we miss out on what God is saying. And so we have to get back and understand. First and foremost, this is a collection, all right? Now, something you need to recognize in this Bible reading plan that we're doing, 
There's a reason why I picked the reading plan that we did, because if you go through version, there are videos for every book of the Bible, and actually some of them have multiple videos, and the purpose of those videos is to help you have more context to understand what it is you're reading, to help you on the journey. So even if you're reading the paper version, I would encourage you to go watch those videos, sign up for the thing, so you can follow along a little bit better, all right? But I want to step back even further here, okay? Sorry, I'm, I'm educating you here for a second, okay? But this is a very critical concept because I want to ask the question, why do we even have this collection in the first place? Now, I'm not going to dig into the Old Testament for a moment, but I do want to dig into the New Testament for a moment because I think the answer to this question is one of those foundational truths that if you miss it, you're in trouble, but if you get a hold of it, it can change your understanding of Scripture. And it's this. Uh, a lot of people, when they, when they don't think Christianity is a real thing, Right? They think it's just this made-up thing. What do they think? Some people got together, and they wrote a story. Right? They wrote all these letters, and it kind of became this thing. It got out of control, and suddenly they made this, this man named Jesus be a big deal, and everybody started following, and 2,000 years later, here we go. We've got the Christian faith. There's other people that think, well, there really was a man, Jesus, because historically you can verify him as a real human being, but they say, well, it wasn't that he did all the stuff, but eventually it kind of became folklore, and you started making bigger stories about this thing, talking about it, and it became a bigger deal than he actually was. He never really did any of those things. But once again, that is a misrepresentation of what actually happened in the history of what took place. What actually took place? You remember Jesus' ministry? Think about it for a second. This Jesus walked around the earth, and it says that there were hundreds, if not thousands of people would follow him all around, listening to him teach, right? He was the hotshot. Everybody wanted to be around Jesus. He was the cool teacher, okay? But then what happened? Do you remember when he died on the cross? Who was left with him? His followers all ran away. His disciples, who he had poured his life into, where were they? They were hiding for their lives. Why? Because they knew the Romans were going to come kill them too. Everybody who was associated with Jesus ran away. They wanted nothing to do with him. This movement of Jesus stopped moving. The train came off the rails and everybody got off, right? There was no Christianity. There was no movement. None of those things. The movement was dead. And then something happened. Three days later, what happens? Jesus resurrects from the dead and he doesn't just resurrect and show himself to one person but over the next 40 days he reveals himself to hundreds and hundreds of people and they see him with their own eyes and what happens they begin to go around and tell of what they saw they don't talk about some cool book they read they don't talk about some story they heard they go around telling about the jesus that they saw with their eyes this verifiable event they witnessed and they go around and begin to share the hope of jesus and in a few decades this gospel, this good news of Jesus is going all around the world and there are believers in every corner of the world. Now what happens? Time goes on and they begin to realize, you know, we need to, we need to protect and guard all of these writings from these early disciples. Some of these people who were with Jesus, we should protect these writings. So they, they begin to bring them together to guard them, to protect them in time that ultimately becomes the New Testament that we have. And this is the critical thing that every one of you need to understand. If there's one thing I could get you to, to grab onto this morning, 
It's this, that the Bible didn't create Christianity. Christianity caused the Bible, okay? This is a truth, seriously. Some of you parents out there, you need to start talking to your children about this. Because they are going to get into schools and people, well, somebody just made that stuff up. They just made that, just wrote all this stuff. Listen, there was, for decades following Jesus, there was a movement of, Chris, of Christianity and there was no Bible. All they had was the Old Testament, the old scriptures. There was no New Testament, none of this. This was brought together because there was a movement, because there was faith, the Bible occurred. Do you understand this? And if we get that mixed up, it causes problems. So what does this point back to? It points back to the one thing that holds it all together. Why do we have a collection in the first place? See, without the resurrection of Jesus, there is no the Bible. The cornerstone of our faith is not a book. It is the resurrected Christ. He is the cornerstone. He is the one that our faith is in. And it is a verifiable event it's not grounded in just some story. It's grounded in truth, all right? So we have to understand that this is what Scripture is. It is first a collection. Let's get to number two. What else is the Bible? The Bible is a story, obviously. <laughs> so brilliant, aren't I? It's a story. But I want to say this. Uh, we, the month of January is not an easy month uh, in our family. Uh, my wife lost somebody very dear to her um, just a few years ago. Uh, his name was Ryan. And uh, one thing I remember every January when we, we come to this time, when I think about Ryan, is I think about what an amazing storyteller he was. He's my favorite storyteller ever. Like, he when he would just start a story, you just get brought in. Like, he would give every detail, and he would have you belly laughing, dying laughing at the stories he would tell. And story has that way about it, Right? Like we know this throughout all of history, story has been one of the primary ways that we communicate because it does something to us. More than just giving us information, it can grab our hearts, it can help us see us inside of that story, right? And see, when we go to scripture, here's what we find. We find lots and lots of stories and we understand that. And the stories we read are the good, the bad, and the ugly. See, what I love about scripture is it doesn't hide the ugly stuff. We talked about this back at Christmas when we went through the lineage of Jesus. What? We see the gross stuff. Those heroes of faith, we see their mistakes. And what happens when we read that? Rather than looking and saying, oh, I could never be like that guy, usually I'm like, yeah, I'm just like that guy, right? You know what I'm saying? Like it makes you feel, you see yourself in the text, and that's the point. The point is that scripture doesn't just reveal God, it reveals our state and where we are. It speaks to us. See, this is why these stories are so important to us. But I would say this, that, that this isn't just a book of stories, but the Bible is a story. And this is what I'm talking about when it comes to the Christmas tree. Now, if you've ever tried writing, uh, reading through the entire Bible like we're doing right now, my guess is you read through it and you realize, man, it doesn't feel like it's all in chronological order, okay? And so this is what it looks like, and some of you know what I'm talking about. You start in Genesis, and you're like, oh, cool, creation, that's great. Exodus, cool story. And then you get to Leviticus, and you're like, oh, it starts getting confusing. And then you get to Numbers, and like, oh, lots of names. And then you get to Deuteronomy. And then you get to Joshua, and like, good story, 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 story. Boom, 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 so good. And then you get to Chronicles, and you're like, I feel like I just read all this already. And then you get, and then you go on, and then you get to Job, and you're like, Job, this is a kind of a weird story, but I don't know. And then you get to Psalms. And then for the next quarter of your Bible, you're like, there's not many, there's not many stories in here, right? <laughs> you see Daniel, 
and, and you see Jonah, but there's not a lot of stories in here, okay? And you're like, I don't know what's going on, but then you get, you get to the New Testament, you're like, Matthew, sweet, Jesus, 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 cool, cool, cool. And then you get to Mark, and you're like, Jesus, cool, we're going to do this again. And then you get to Luke, we're going to do this again, here we go. And then we get to John, John, one more time, how many times are we going to do this? All right, and then you get to Acts, and you're like, this is great, I love Acts, cool. And then letters, like, why are there all these letters here? Letters and letters and letters and letters and letters, and then you get to Revelation. You're like, what is going on <laughs> here? And then you get to the end, and it's like, oh, that feels good. And that's the journey through the Bible, okay? <laughs> and it, <laughs> all right, <laughs> and we're done with the series. <laughs> we all good now? Okay, all right. <laughs> But here's what we need to understand. This is why I'm calling this the big story. Is there is a big story of Scripture. There's lots of little stories, but there is a big story. If you've ever studied the arc of story, you understand there's this beginning, right? The starting thing. And then it, there's the conflict, the problem that, that grows. And, and Scripture has this over and over and over problem, problem, problem that gets to a climactic moment. This climax that ultimately has a resolution. As we look at the arc of Scripture, this is very evident to us. And our hope, and my hope, is that over the next several weeks, the next two months, we dig into this and get a clearer picture of what is God doing in the world. And remember what I said, how do I fit into his story, all right? So the Bible is a collection. The Bible is a story. Lastly, the Bible is an arrow. The Bible is an arrow. The Bible is an arrow that points us to Jesus. Um, I think some of you would say, well, the New Testament does, but the whole Old Testament, I mean, like two-thirds of your Bible doesn't even mention the name of Jesus explicitly. And say, I get that. But there's a, there's a story. If you've ever read in the book of Luke, there Jesus is, the resurrected Jesus is walking down the road to Emmaus. And it says that he walks alongside two followers who are sitting there chit-chatting about, well, this Jesus died. I don't know what's going on. I thought he was the king. I thought all this stuff was going to happen. I guess it was all just a bunch of hogwash, whatever. And Jesus, it says, he begins to open the scriptures to them. And to them, what is the scriptures? The Old Testament. And he walks them through the entire Old Testament and says how the entire Old Testament pointed to him. He was the purpose. He was the point. And you see, if we approach Scripture and we miss this, then we can have problems. Because how many of you have ever read something in the Old Testament and you've thought to yourself, <laughs> what? <laughs> Let's just be honest. We have those moments. Like, that's weird. That's wrong. That's gross. I don't like that. And if the point, if you think the point of coming to Scripture is just to find the morality, find all the things, who the people I should be like, you're like, well, there are not a lot of people I want to be like in that Bible. But the point is that the Bible is an arrow that's pointing to our desperate need for Jesus. Every time we look in the Old Testament and we see that story and we're like, I don't know what to do with that, it's a reminder of our utter brokenness and lostness. When I see people screw up and you're like, that's gross, I look at myself and I say, I'm that same guy. I'm the same guy making the same mistakes and I desperately need someone to save me. That's the point. This whole thing is pointing us to Jesus. We desperately need him. We read the passage that we just read back in John chapter one and it says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He, Jesus, 
was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. He is the point. He is the one we are focused on. He is where our life is. He is where the light is. This is what it's about. It's all about Jesus. He is the perfect revelation. And I want to see, pull up the scripture from Hebrews chapter one. This is what it says. Woo! It says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, and remember, all this was Old Testament, right? That's what he's referring to, all these things. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also, there's more verses, jump to the next thing. Here we go. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Question, if you want to know what God is like, if you want to see the fullest expression of who God is at every time, in every moment, you look in the face of Christ. Any question? The fullest revelation. You see, what I, what I love about this is that, that even those that saw him in the Old Testament never had a more full representation of what is embodied in Christ. The point of this thing is Christ. Remember, Christianity predates the Bible. It's about Jesus. It's not about a book. Do we value what the word of God says? Absolutely. But ultimately, it is pointing and directing us to his son, who is the fullest representation of God himself. This thing is about Jesus. So the Bible is a collection. The Bible is a story. The Bible is an arrow. And so I want to get to our big so what. We say this every week. So what? What's the point of this thing? Here's the big so what for this morning. The Sunday school answer is right. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Because when you're a kid, I grew up in church. Some of you grew up in church. I grew up going to Sunday school or I grew up going to kids' church. And if the teacher was doing a study, they'd be doing this little study thing, whatever, and, and they, they ask a question. You know how kids are? Quit, kids raise their hands before they even know what the answer is, right? They just like, who can get their hand up first? I got it up. And then they ask you a question. like, oh, oh. I didn't know what the question was, sorry. You know, and then like suddenly they have to think about what the answer is. And when you're a kid in church, here's the one. If you don't know what to say, what do you say? Jesus, Jesus right? Because there ain't no kid's teacher that's gonna tell you you're wrong when you answer Jesus, all right? It's always right, you know that. Always the right answer. And it sounds cheesy, but it's still true. The answer is Jesus. For a broken and a lost world, what's the answer? Jesus. For a world desperately who tries to find their own way, who is it? Jesus. For your life, for the circumstances you're facing, who is it? It's Jesus. He is the answer to everything. We try to get our, our minds wrapped around other things, and sometimes we try to take this book, which is supposed to reveal him, and we try to turn it into a moral code to try and earn God's favor. And he's saying, listen, you need Jesus. That's what you need. You desperately need him. That's the point. Do we pursue righteousness? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, we need him. We do not follow the Bible. We follow Christ. We submit our lives to Christ. Now hear what I'm saying. I value the word as much as anybody else. We get up here and preach the word. But at the end of the day, the point is to lead us to our heavenly father through Christ. Get it? I want to read something to you. 
I heard this years ago. Because I mentioned that Jesus is all over the place, and some of you are like, well, I don't know what we're talking about. I want to read this to you. This is a tracing every book of the Bible and where we see Christ in this. And for some of you, you know your Bible, you know the story, so as I read this, you're going to like, oh, I see that, I see that. For others of you, you're like, I don't even know what those books of the Bible are. I never read them, didn't know they were in the Bible. What I want you to do is hear who Christ is and who he desires to be in your life, all right? It says this, in Genesis, Jesus Christ is the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's the high priest. In Numbers, he is the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he is the prophet. In Joshua, he's the commander of the Lord's army. In Judges, he is our judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. In Samuel, he's the seed of David. In Kings and Chronicles, he is the reigning king. In Ezra, he is our faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he is the rebuilder of everything that is broken. In Esther, he is our advocate. In Job, he's the ever-living redeemer. He is our shepherd in Psalms. In Proverbs, he is our wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he is the meaning of life. In the Song of Solomon, he is the loving bridegroom. In Isaiah, he is the prince of peace. In Jeremiah and Lamentation, he is our weeping prophet in Ezekiel. He is the glorious Lord. In Daniel, he is the fourth man in the fiery furnace. In Hosea, he is the faithful husband. In Joel, he pours out his Holy Spirit. In Amos, he's the burden bearer. In Obadiah, the judge and savior. In Jonah, he is our risen prophet. In Micah, he's the ruler of the world. In Nahum, he is our stronghold. In Habakkuk, he's the watchman. In Zephaniah, he is mighty to save. In Haggai, he is the restorer. In Zechariah, he's pierced for us. In Malachi, he is the son of righteousness. In Matthew, he is the king of the Jews, the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God. In Mark, he is the servant, the miracle worker. In Luke, he is the son of man. And in John, he is the son of God. He is the living word, the way, the truth, and the life. In Acts, he is the savior of the world, the one who has ascended into heaven. In Romans, he is our justifier. In Corinthians, he is the resurrection and our comfort. In Galatians, he is our liberty and our freedom. In Ephesians, he is the head of the church. In Philippians, he is our joy. In Colossians, he is our completeness and he's the glue that holds everything together. In Thessalonians, he is the coming king. Timothy, he's our mediator. In Philemon, he's the benefactor. In Titus, he is our blessed hope. In Hebrews, he is our perfection. In James, he's the power behind our faith. In Peter, he is our shepherd and our chief cornerstone. In John, he is the truth and the everlasting light. In Jude, he's the foundation and our security. And in Revelation, the kingdom of our God is the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That is who Jesus is. That is who he is. He comes to be everything in every circumstance, in every season. He is all that we need. And we respond to him. We respond to him and say, God, we don't get it. I don't understand why a God that good would give your life for me. But God, all I can do is layer myself down. Say, God, I'm yours. Help me see you more fully. God, may I see you. May I know you. Help me offer myself to you, God. I don't know what you're dealing with in life right now.
I don't know what you're facing, but I know what the answer is. It's Jesus. I know it seems simple. I know it can feel cliche, but it's still the truth. It's still the truth, guys. Some of you this morning, you've been looking every other place. You've been trying to find the answer somewhere else, and this morning you need to turn your eyes to the one that is the true answer. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much that you chose in your abundant goodness and love to reveal yourself to us in the face of Christ. God, I pray right now in this moment for those in this room, those with us online, may we see more fully. God, may we have a greater revelation of who Christ is and what you desire to do in and through us, Lord. Help us to see that. Right now, there's some of you, you're feeling that. You've been looking any and every other place. Your eyes have been trying to solve the problems out there and you haven't been turning to Jesus. Just as an act of faith right now to say, God, I need you. I need you just to take a step of faith in your own, in your own heart right now. I just invite you just to say, to raise your hand or, or across the room, just say, God, I need you. In my circumstance right now, I need you. Take that step just as an act of faith. Say, God, I need you. I need you. Yeah, God, we need you. We desperately need you. Those online, just in your own heart to say, God, I need you. In my marriage, I need you, God. In my family, I need you, God. With my finances, I need you, God. As I live my life and try to be this follower of Christ, God, I need you. I can't do it in my own strength. Help me to see my place in your kingdom, not your place in my kingdom. I need you, Jesus. Offer myself to you. God, I pray that you would help us this week as we dig into your scripture. As we look to your word, Father, I pray that more and more we would see you. We wouldn't see a list of do's and don'ts, but we would see a God who desires to reveal himself to us. Speak to our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name.